Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Today's episode brings you cybersecurity strategies in government defense and homeland. Here's your host, Luke McCormick. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormick. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders with their cybersecurity strategies and solutions. With me on today's show are Ron Pontius, Deputy to the Commander, U.S. Army Cyber Command, Hamant Badwin, Acting Deputy Chief Information Security Officer, Department of Homeland Security, Freddie McCardo, Deputy Chief Information Security Officer, Defense Intelligence Agency, Jim Richburg, Field Chief Information Security Officer at Fortinet, Martin Kessler, Chief Information Security at Verizon Business Group, and Matthew Glenn, Senior Vice President, Product Management at Illumio. Well, this is certainly a very uh, important topic, always is, certainly very important with this administration coming in, uh, $9 billion being proposed in the Technology Modernization Fund. A lot of that is to modernize systems. A lot of that is certainly to address security issues. Ron, let's start with you and just tell us, uh, give us a state of state as to what's happening over at uh, U.S. Cyber Army Command. I, I understand that you guys have moved your command and a lot of stuff going on over there these days. Yes, the command moved from the National Capital Region down to Fort Gordon, Georgia this, uh, this past year. Of course, we did that while we were doing, everybody was us like everybody else in the COVID environment, uh, but uh, the move went extremely well and that's where we're operating from now. So the big things and staying kind of with COVID, what we, I would say what we've really learned this year in the Army is the ability to do remote and distributed operations. And um, Microsoft, uh, working with the Department of Defense leadership, Mr. Dana DC, the DOD CIO, uh, rolled out a capability just for the DOD. It's called Commercial Virtual Remote, or CVR, which is essentially uh, impact level two Microsoft Teams. And the Army has absolutely embraced it. And um, there's close to 500,000 people every day using it. And it's fundamentally changing how we're doing business in the Army. Like our training and doctrine command, uh, General Funk is saying, let's make sure we bring the training to the soldier, not the soldier to the training. So it's fundamentally changing how we're doing things. Of course, the implications of that from a cybersecurity point of view, it absolutely reinforces you know, the, the pace of which we need to keep moving towards you know, a zero trust environment uh, with where every every device is at least privileged. And we're, we're on that path, but it's accelerated in many ways. We're continuing to really mature and grow our big data analytics, our big data platform, which is incredibly important to be able to not only see ourselves, but to see anomalous behavior and potential adversary behavior. And there's also initiatives going on. Uh, Lieutenant General John Morrison, the, the Army G6, is, is spearheading an effort to really improve our risk management framework. Um, what really assessment is too much time has been spent on the upfront paperwork and he's really adjusting it to be much more about getting to the monitoring and a continuing assessment. So things are all moving in the right direction. Uh, it's amazing that what, what, what COVID has done in regards to one, obviously uh, opened up sort of the threat vector, right? I mean, that, 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 that exposure, but also uh, now has uh, created this environment where, um, you know, uh, particularly like, like yourselves, right? 
uh, the army, which is very much, you know, uh, certainly base oriented, guards, gates, lots, the whole bit, right? And all of a sudden now you've created this very secure environment that you're able to have more of a remote capability and address that from a different kind of dynamic, which is fantastic. We hear that about that a lot, hear about zero trust architecture a lot as well. Hamant, uh, we had your CIO, prior CIO on, on the show, uh, uh, actually at the, uh, the end of last year, and she was talking about NOSC and talking about zero trust architecture. Sound like there's a whole lot of stuff going on over there at Department of Homeland Security. So get us up to speed as to what's happening. Yeah, th thank you, Luke, for asking. And, and yes, indeed, there's a lot going on, uh, all good things. Uh, and, and, you know, I think we talked about a little bit, uh, uh, Luke, you mentioned the COVID and, and kind of the, the way the telework posture has changed. So, you know, I, I'm really impressed how, you know, well things are, are moving forward in DHS, you know, with our critical cybersecurity initiatives, especially during this time, uh, right? And, and there, there are a couple of things I think you mentioned, um, the NOSC initiative, you know, uh, this, is, this is one of the key initiatives that we recently accomplished. Uh, by aligning, you know, our OCIO Cybersecurity Operations Center with the Network Operations Security Center, uh, also known as this NOSC model. Uh, now, this is helping us mitigate, you know, the current cybersecurity challenges, right, by providing real-time operational and security situational awareness, which is really important. Uh, and this model is really, really also helping uh, us in identifying potential issues with preventing outages and, and defending the DHS assets from hostile threats. Um, and, and, and uh, Luke, as you know, one of the main things we are doing is, you know, really aggressively moving from on-premise to hybrid cloud computing, you know, throughout the enterprise, right? This is really important. I think we talked about COVID and the, and the pandemic and the telework uh, posture. This has really helped us to be successful in addressing these risks that are posed by rapidly expanding telework over these last, you know, all, you know actually it seems like a year now. Uh, right. So, so that's, that's been really good. And even before that, you know, we are really, uh, we have been emphasizing the importance of cyber hygiene to our employees and, and we continue to do that. That's very important that, that the employees are aware uh, of that. And we have put in, you know, enhanced infrastructure uh, capable of handling increased telework. That's, that's been really uh, helpful. Uh, besides that, you know, we, we have uh, in actually last year in FY20, uh, implemented the CSP program, actually, you know, uh, in, in close partnership with DOD and, and kind of looking at their program, uh, which is a cybersecurity service provider program. And, and I, I think that was really key, very successful uh, for us as well. We developed that to inspect all DHS components, cybersecurity operation centers against that framework and maturity standards. That was, that was, uh, that was key. Uh, the transition of this model, uh, the service delivery model has really matured our uh, capabilities and, and really, you know, truly promises to have a, a continued impact for uh, not just for DHS, but working closely with CISA and the accusable model for, for other federal um, agencies as well. Um, so we were actually, you know, did a, did, a, did a fantastic job in assessing all the component SOCs. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is ensuring that, you know, all our endpoints get efficient and more importantly, uniform protections against uh, cyber adversaries. And, and then lastly, local I'll mention, you know, we, uh, you know, this always comes up, the cyber workforce, right, is, is, is getting uh, increasingly difficult to, you know, to compete with the private industry, uh, especially in federal government. So we are in process of implementing the cyber talent management system uh, in close collaboration with our Chico. Uh, and, 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 and it's really the, the purpose behind that is to, you know, to, to streamline, um, to streamline hiring and improve the quality and, and quantity of professionals in the pipeline that, that are ready to you know join join this incredible mission, 
uh, we are actually moving forward, uh, you know, to a proactive recruiting approach with the CTMS model uh, and, and creating a multi-path hiring assessment uh, aim, you know, aimed at uh, getting the top talent uh, to DHS. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, it, it's, this will definitely allow us to compete with industry for new cyber talent. And the building block blocks are there. We were able to establish the program. I think it's just, you know, uh, going to be implemented here very soon. And I'm very excited about that. That's fantastic. Talent management, always a, 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 a big issue. And as you change your environment, that, that attack surface gets uh, changes and evolves. And great to hear this uh, sort of cross-pollinization of talent coming from DOD over to DHS, et cetera. I know some of that NAS stuff, I think, actually was originated out of the, the DOD. Freddie, how about at DIA? Uh, I think I, uh, I saw a quote from your, your CIO where he said, um, you know, the technology is not the issue. It's the culture that's always the challenge. So uh, tell us what's happening over at DIA. Well, um, due, due to the pandemic, it's uh, been a real challenging year, but we've been very successful. Um, as you know, with DIA, most of our work that we do is on the top secret network. Mm -hmm. So when the pandemic happened, we had to go ahead and go into the unclassified world and establish, you know, VPNs, establish, you know, uh, Microsoft Teams so we can collaborate and, and go to uh, IELTS 2 right now for um, mail services. So it was a challenge and we were, we've been very successful at it. It doesn't mean we're stopping. We're actually going to stay with that, um, telework capability for the workforce because the pandemic showed us that we need to have something else in order to be able to operate. Um, so we're still maturing in that area. Um, and one of the, the efforts that we are have been working on to multi-year effort that we started here in 2018 was securing the DOTUS Enterprise or Department of Defense Intelligence Information System. Mm -hmm. Basically was looking at all of our core networks. We have four core networks spread around the globe and looking at all the security vulnerabilities that we really need to attack um, and, and say, okay, what can we do to get to get take these vulnerabilities and finally mitigate them and ensure we have a more secure state instead of just being compliant. Um, so we basically did that. And then as a result of that, one of the big initiatives that we just about almost completed before COVID hit was um, hard token multi-factor authentication on the top secret network. We pretty much were at like 80%. Um, we still had some remote locations around the world that we had to get to, but then COVID came and we had to stop because you couldn't travel, folks couldn't travel, make sure that all the users were trained, they had tokens in hand, make sure the infrastructure was ready to go. Um, we're just about getting ready to turn that on. So that's been a big initiative of that securing DOTUS campaign that we started. And again, securing DOTUS campaign is a multi-year effort. Um, so that's been the exciting stuff that we've been doing at DIA. It really is remarkable how uh, you know uh, you know uh, a, a turn of events leads to all kinds of uh, in some cases great activity. Who would have thought that uh, the DOG at large you know could uh, could uh, you know uh, uh, operate in sort of this remote environment, knowing how secure and all the you know that that situation that uh, uh, configuration that you guys are required to work in, and and how you've been able to sort of as a community kind of, you know, technology muscle your way out of that, so to speak. Jim, uh, you see a lot of this across the spectrum, right? You're seeing it across the various agencies. You're seeing it in the private sector. Tell us from a Fortinet standpoint, you know, what, what are you seeing? Uh, what have you seen over this last year? Well, Luke, good afternoon. And as my federal colleagues have said, we all made the pivot to remote telework. We were now faced with endpoints that were in an environment that agencies did not control, that in many cases did not have visibility in, that in, innately had more vulnerability than the enterprise 
environments that we classically worked in. So we in industry, places like Fortinet, helped increase endpoint security for them. But table stakes for everyone was an encrypted connection back to that the headquarters or the data center in. So we also worked with our federal partners to make sure that they had the capacity to do that kind of real-time inspection because otherwise the integrity of the endpoint is a single point of failure. And, and if that gets popped and compromised, we've talked about zero trust already. You know, the, the predicate for zero trust is you've got to be able to do that kind of inspection. But even while we worked with our federal partners to help the pivot to remote telework, we also work with them to enable them to continue to make some fundamental changes in their networks. And I think the biggest success story uh, to my mind over the past year was SD-WAN. A lot of federal agencies continued to say, look, we're changing the way we deploy our network topology around the country and we should, we should move away from the wired T1 type of approach in favor of software-defined networking. And that was a trifecta because it gave them cost savings, it gave them better user outcome, it gave them the ability to set these service levels for things like this video conference and not social media, and it can be innately a more secure environment too. So we worked with federal partners in civilian and military areas, ranging from healthcare to criminal investigation to roll a lot of this out last year. And uh, it, it, what was really intriguing to me was to see software-defined networking and zero trust come together. We worked with one federal agency that had to support criminal investigations across the country. So they went to an SD-WAN solution that gave them the ability to have these field sites that could both work with each other in headquarters, but also be doing dark web investigations and to do this based on a zero trust premise. So I think, again, I think we in industry, places like Fortinet have continued to help them deploy this kind of technology to be nimble in the face of COVID and to start moving away from an old approach to networks. Right. And that's sort of the catch. To me, that's the silver lining. It's like, okay, we've, we've gotten everyone remote. They are secure, break, break. Now, all of a sudden, we're, we're, we're unlocking all these new capabilities to modernize, transform, flex, uh, using these various types of capabilities like SD-WAN, et cetera. Martin, how about over at Verizon's business group? Once again, here's a, uh, a situation where uh, you, you have a, a complex network internally uh, th that you're trying to deal with, right? A big, large enterprise uh, uh, vendor, if you will, partner. And, and then you're trying to address that capability out to all these federal agencies. So uh, tell us what 2020 looked like for you guys. Thank you, Luke. Uh, when I think about what defines progress and success for cyber programs, a, a key indicator, just as my colleagues have alluded to, is the business priorities and the transformations that have been securely enabled. So uh, just like other the other folks have mentioned, uh, both internal to Verizon and certainly as we've supported the missions of our public and our private sector customers, the most important success was that secure enablement of that massive shift to remote working. I think as a profession, we've talked a long time about embedding cyber into culture and into processes. And that was really put to the test during this transition because of the scale and the speed that it happened last year. The workforce shift also accelerated the adoption of cloud-based productivity tools and the migration of applications from on-prem to the cloud, things that were already on the digital transformation roadmap for our customers, but were accelerated due to the conditions so I think we'll, we'll all remember many things about 2020, but that secure enablement, first of our, our Verizon mission, but, but then uh, most importantly of our, our customers' missions, that will always stand out to me. I think uh, another area that, that uh, we've seen a lot of progress over the last year in is, is just core cyber defense. 
Uh, we know that attacks take place at machine speed. So we have to continually improve our protective solutions and our ability to detect and respond, increase automation, increase the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning. So that's been very critical over the last year, internal to Verizon and certainly with our customers. And then a third area I'll highlight from a Verizon perspective is we've long approached cyber as an ecosystem issue. And that's why we consider our thought leadership and publications to be so important each year. So this past year, we're proud that we issued our 13th edition of the Data Breach Investigations Report. That includes data-driven lessons learned from over 32,000 security incidents across 81 contributors, the most ever. And we also released a cyber espionage report and several others that really aim to raise the cybersecurity bar for our internal program, our customers, our partners, and, and really any organization around the world. So really continue to be pleased with the progress in that area. And I know that that report is a, a staple in the industry and a lot of people rely on that. And it's great to see that you're using some of these advanced technologies like AI, et cetera, uh, to uh, fight the good fight. Matt, how about over at Illumio? You all are right smack in the middle of trying to you know, make sure that uh, the, these environments stay safe through some very unique capabilities. What are you seeing out there? What have you seen over the past year in respect to uh, introducing some of these capabilities? Uh, thank you for having me. <clears throat> the answer to that is, uh, and I think uh, multiple speakers have touched on this, which is you know, two, uh, a couple of keywords. One is zero trust, and the second one is mindset. Um, you know, I think that you know, if you don't know Illumio, in the private sector, we have the largest zero trust deployments in the world. We've been actively working with NIST on 800-207, which is the Zero Trust Cybersecurity Framework, and really bringing those learnings into uh, the federal government. Um, you know, the mindset of Zero Trust is default deny, only allow that which you know and you trust. Um, and, uh, you know, traditionally most, the mindset has been outside in, meaning the user in, and that was exacerbated by COVID as we transformed from an on-prem workforce to an off-prem workforce. However, that mindset uh, gave it, uh, created uh, some gaps. And that gap is uh, thinking about the endpoint rather than really worrying about where the data is, which is of course the data center. So the transformation of you know, that mindset is you know, how to basically do something I call retro segmenting or retro zero trusting an environment where there's just implicit a device can go anywhere. Uh, the core mindset of zero trust, of course, is to assume breach, assume that something inside your environment has already been compromised. And uh, how do you basically eliminate that compromise from spreading laterally within the environment? Um, so what we've been actively doing is bringing the learnings that we've had in probably the largest zero trust data center uh, deployments in the world and uh, bringing that mindset into NIST, teaching them how you can go into legacy environments as well as cloud environments and create zero trust. But the most important thing is not disrupt the missions. Nobody wants to bring down a critical mission in the interest of just saying they got to zero trust. It's a very delicate balance to sort of uh, map out. Uh, because you don't want to disrupt the core capability of the agency that we're working with. And so a key component to that is visibility uh, to create those zero trust uh, pockets or compartments 
within an existing data center or in the public cloud, and then how to enforce them. And a lot of that is really uh, teaching the workforce of you know, people in process is very gonna be very, very important on how you go in and you get to zero trust in an environment where there really has been no lateral control in a data center and public cloud. So we're really trying to teach the um, different agencies how to do that. And yes, we have a different approach, but regardless of the approach, the mindset is what has to come first. Default deny, only allow that which you should allow. Absolutely good way of operating and very important in this uh, type of environment and certainly want to protect the blast zone. Well, let's take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. This is Bob Fortnight. At Fortinet Federal, we understand government cybersecurity professionals want to reduce operational challenges, make cybersecurity more manageable, and deliver actionable information. Our integrated and automated solutions reduce complexity and ensure mission success at speed and scale. Fortinet is a leading U.S. cybersecurity company with a 20-year track record of innovation. See why agencies rely on Fortinet Federal. For more information, go to fortinetfederal.com. Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We're committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future, we build it. VerizonEnterprise.com slash federal IT. The solar winds hack has greatly impacted federal networks. Breaches are inevitable, but they don't have to be devastating. Illumio is the zero trust leader in end to end segmentation. Illumio prevents attackers from moving laterally across your network to carry out breaches, providing real time visibility, reducing the dynamic attack surface, and enabling faster implementation. Visit Illumio.com slash federal to learn how to help your agency or command get to zero trust quickly and better accomplish your mission. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about security at Department of Homeland Security and Department of Defense. Uh, we're going to start talking about priorities. And uh, Freddie, let me throw it over to you. You talked about some stuff that you were doing already. Uh, you know, give us your top two priorities for this year in regards to cybersecurity? Um, with cybersecurity on, on the unclassed network with uh, Office 365, we're currently at a impact level two. Um, our goal is to get to impact level five. So we can allow folks to do you know, um, sensitive uh, work that's on the network when they're, while they're at home. Um, the other thing we're going to embark on, another major initiative for us is to revamp and revitalize the asset management program. Um, naturally, we have thousands of assets scattered across the globe, and we're, you know, we're finding, hey, we're, we're having a difficult time tracking everything that we own, because if you don't know what you own, you don't know how to defend it. So that's our major initiative for us this year, is putting, aligning the right skilled folks on that team and using um, automated capabilities and get away from old, old methods and trying to track down your assets. That's a major initiative for us this year. And the last one is um, we have an inspection and oversight capability that we're, we're standing up. Um, and that's basically, basically for the Joint Worldwide Intelligence and uh, Communication System. Um, being the executive agent for JWIX, as they call it, um, we're, we have to start inspecting and, see, and looking at where all, somebody mentioned all the endpoints around, around JWIX and see how secure JWIX is and, and work with all the IC partners, intelligence community partners, 
and working together with them and say, okay, how can we secure JWIX and make it, make that cyber hygiene and raise that level up? Um, and that's by doing an inspection program and compliance program, as well as inspecting ourselves. Um, naturally, DOD inspects, you know, the, the unclassified network, the secret networks. Um, but when it comes to top secret SCI networks, that's DI's, you know, area or territory. We have to do well, a better job of inspecting us and raising our level of security across those networks. Um, those are the three areas, that, uh, a couple areas that we're going Fantastic. to. Fantastic. <laughs> and I tell you, always, always good to, to, uh, to have a peer review and pressure test these environments, right? Makes a lot of sense. Martin, how about over at Verizon? What are the top two priorities uh, for you folks that uh, either inside of Verizon or perhaps what uh, is being asked of Verizon? Yeah, it's actually very similar, both internal to Verizon and certainly with our customers. The, the common denominator is that the, the digital transformation and technology modernization strategies drive our cybersecurity programming that's required for enablement. So a first example, uh, our digital transformation journey continues to move additional workloads to the cloud. So this drives the cyber priority of implementing a, a cloud North Star security architecture built on that zero trust foundation that we've talked about today with as much automation as possible built in for compliance monitoring and threat monitoring and data protection. Uh, another example is 5G, which is an, a game changer for Verizon and our business customers. Uh, 5G is enabling breakthroughs today in connectivity, robotics, virtual and augmented reality, autonomous vehicles, wearables, and the internet of things. So a critical cyber priority for us is to continue to build security into the rollout of 5G and edge computing. So our customers can really capitalize on that full value proposition and deliver their missions in new and innovative ways that were literally unimaginable just a few short years ago. So as we continue to transform internally and as our customers continue to transform, we're, we're integrating our cyber priorities into those transformation plans. So. I could tell you it's going to be a very exciting year. Yeah, it seems that 5G like never before as far as, you know, incorporating uh, security into it, baked into the technology is definitely one as opposed to the old bolt-on capability that uh, we all were facing over the years. Ron, how about over at Army? Uh, you got a lot of things on the deck over there, it sounds like. Give us your top two priorities that you're, you're really going to focus on this year. Yeah, I would say... Uh, similar on on visibility that Freddie talked about, we are at uh, you know where uh, the army's been pushing hard to migrate uh, you know legacy capabilities, apps, and data to commercial cloud providers. But the army has also accelerated uh, the rollout of Office 365 in an impact level five environment, and uh, we're driving to be there by June. Uh, at least the initial capabilities, because that's when commercial virtual remote uh, contract ends. So we want to make sure we don't, the Army users don't, don't lose capabilities. So really that visibility, which is critical uh, from our legacy environment, our commercial cloud providers, and then with the Office 365, because fundamentally uh, you got to have visibility. That's a key part of security. And then I would say uh, a, another real priority is improve our ability to detect and respond to malicious cyber activity. You know, we all we all strive to put our posture as best we can, but the reality is, um, an adversary, if they work hard enough, it can can get into anything. And so it's it's a matter of how you deal with it, the speed of which you respond, how you detect. Uh, how you work that. And, and with that, 
of course, is the ability, you know, we talked a little bit about the workforce, you know, continue to professionally train our military and civilian workforce uh, to be able to support and focus on the missions because it isn't, you know, cybersecurity, you don't do it for cybersecurity, you do it for the mission. And it's incredibly important. So that whole thing about our ability to detect and respond and have the workforce that's able to do that along with our our industry partner, our vendors uh, that really assist us both in capability and in, in um, I'll say, intellectual capital. So critical, right? It's not, as, as they say, it's not a matter of uh, if you're going to uh, uh, get compromised, it's when. And it's all about, uh, you know, protecting the blast zone, how are you going to respond to it, et cetera, et cetera, and having that uh, uh, bolted down very tightly. Uh, Jim, how about at Fortinet? Well, what's your top two priorities that you're, you all are looking at over there? Well, Luke, I think the biggest priority is helping our federal partners and our private sector customers deal with what I'm characterizing as the year of the hybrid. And I don't mean cars. As I look at 2021, because I was an Intel analyst, and you always, at the beginning of the year, you have to make your forecast. We're going to be dealing with hybrid work patterns. We're already talking about what is the mix between remote and on-prem going to look like. We're looking at hybrid workers. Robotic process automation accelerated dramatically, not only at the federal level, but other parts of government and the private sector over the past year. And it's one thing when it's in the public-facing chatbots, but it's increasingly being used in back offices situations where we now have the intersection of IT and OT and thinking about how to secure that. And then the hybridization of threat itself, that you're now seeing things like ransomware with doxing as a secondary threat to incentivize the victim to pay or um, AI driven content for spear phishing where the intruder not only steals your address book, they steal samples of your email. There's open source AI code out there that, that will allow you to, to customize the syntax to recognizing that you talk to your mom differently than your manager. Uh, and then Frankenstein code where they build it at a best of breed. So you look at this environment and you say, it's changing for everyone. So helping them with everything from continued training to deployment of SASE as, as you know a technology. These are the kind of things we're trying to focus on for our customers. Yeah, and as the uh, as the the uh, this environment changes, the uh, the response to how you're going to manage and operate and certainly secure the environment uh, has to change at the same time, right? I mean, this is a very quick, uh, evolving uh, operational uh, uh, apparatus, if you will. That's uh, that's never ending and changing, and and you got to stay on top of that. And that's really important to uh, make sure that we have the right kind of technologies to address that. Hamant, you've got a lot of things going on over there at Homeland Security. Top two priorities that you all are focused on that you're going to double down on in 2021. Uh, thank you, Luke. Yes, there's definitely a lot going on. So, you know, from my IT initiative standpoint, Luke, as you're aware, previous CIO had mentioned this as well. Uh, and our acting CIO, Ms. Capello, has, has also uh, touched on this, you know, about network modernization, data center optimization, and our enterprise infrastructure solutions uh, as being the critical ones. Now, obviously, you know, cybersecurity is, you know, has to be and is integrated in all of these initiatives, but uh, specifically on cybersecurity, I know we mentioned uh, uh, several others have talked about uh, the, the enterprise visibility and, and the endpoint visibility. So, you know, we are, you know, full steam ahead with the CDM program, as, as you're aware. So we, you know, we, you know, this, you know, this year, I mean, we're continuing to mature that program to really improve and expand this uh, enterprise wide visibility into the cybersecurity risk. Uh, so, so CDM maturity is key. Uh, um, and as far as, uh, you know, supply chain, especially now more than ever, uh, supply chain risk management is really critical. 
So we are, you know, working with multiple line of businesses within DHS to establish methodologies and standards for evaluating technology and services. So as part of the supply chain effort, we're working on development of standard contract language for future procurement solicitations, and then hardware, software, service risk evaluations, both pre and then post procurement. Uh, you know, it, that's, that's important for us. Uh, we're also, you know, working with DOD, partnering very heavily with them to evaluate uh, the establishment of the cybersecurity maturity moral certification, the CMMC processes within the department. And then, and then we are also, as part of the same kind of line, we are, we are uh, looking at maturing our processes for static and dynamic code review and analysis. That's, you know, part of the supply chain framework. Um, lastly, look, I would add is, you know, we are, uh, you know, I mentioned the partnership with CISA uh, and their QSMO platform. That's really critical. We are looking forward to integrating the crowdsource security testing uh, to further harden security for external facing system. And then, you know, by, by, by doing that, increasing the enterprise risk posture awareness uh, uh, for DHS. Yeah, you know, uh, so supply chain always are really critical and these collateral systems always really critical. We saw that with the OPM breach, we're certainly seeing it again now. Uh, you know, it's a, that's, a, that's a really uh, uh, difficult environment to get a handle on. And certainly things like zero trust architecture seems to be... Uh, uh, one of the answers to that uh, situation. Well, let's start talking about lessons learned. And Ron, I'm going to go up to you and uh, let's talk about, you know, as you're getting into this, you're starting to, you know, operate in a different kind of environment, you're, you're accelerating, et cetera. What are the lessons learned that you'd like to share, pluses or minuses, that, uh, you know, would be certainly of interest to the, uh, to the listening audience? The first one is, well, as we've already talked about the COVID and really has, has shown the absolute need uh, and the ability to work in a distributed way. But what also came out of that is, you know, the traditionally in the DOD and I'll say, especially in the army, it was always government furnished equipment, laptops, uh, phones, et cetera. But we've really seen with this, the, we must also non-government furnished equipment, you know, the BYOD sort of bring your own device and, and how we have to have an environment that supports that. And so I would say we've, it tells us, help us drive towards what we're doing and in, in moving to that as, as, as all of us have talked about that zero trust architecture environment with the, you know, least privilege access. So that's about the non-government furnished equipment. The other one I would, I would say is we've absolutely over the last year, we are moving much faster uh, to quarantine systems. We used to have a, kind of a big debate, you know, what's the impact of mission, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if, if a system isn't configured right, if a system isn't patched right, uh, we are, it, it, it gets quarantined until the user fixes it. And so that is really a cultural thing across the Army, the recognition and support from leadership that says the weakest link brings vulnerability to everybody. And so if you don't have your stuff up to date, then you're making, if you have an impact on your mission, that's because you, you didn't do what you needed to do. And I would tell you, that's what we're doing much rapid, much more rapidly than we ever have in the past. Really shining some daylight on these situations uh, as you're, you're getting into a, a sort of a, a full discovery mode, if you will. Matt, let's jump over to you. I was so anxious to get to lessons learned because I know the audience really likes that. Uh, forgot to highlight you on priorities for Illumino that you're, you're seeing sort of internally, maybe what you're being asked of. And certainly right behind that, give us the lessons learned. Um, so I think the, I'm going to start with the second question and go backwards. So the, uh, I think the biggest lesson we learned um, is our adversaries 
um, are looking at what our focus is and then going for our weak spot, right? It's like if you're boxing somebody, you look for that opening and you and you go for that spot. Our adversary has just taught us a huge lesson, which is, you know, we've been focusing on the user. And so they went behind the user and they, we talked about the supply chain uh, problem that we just hit, right? So um, I think the big lesson that we've learned is we need to learn to walk and chew gum at the same time. What does that mean? That means not just think about the end user, but also think about what the end user is connecting to um, and the supply chain problem because they're really going after the stuff in the data center. OPM was about what was in the data center. Um, Sunburst was about what was in the data center because that's where Orion was. The, uh, and so let me talk about, you know, uh, how would you sort of solve that problem? The answer is it starts off with that visibility. Um, and Ron touched on that and as did Hemen. However, let's really, the, the word visibility to me is sort of like saying blue. There's many different shades of blue. So let's talk about what I mean by that. There's device visibility, what's on my network, uh, what's attaching to my network. And then what are those devices connecting to? Um, there's gonna be some amount of, um, there's gonna be some amount of devices and they're gonna to have to connect in. Um, and then from an end user perspective, we're seeing stuff like zero trust network access to solve that problem, but that doesn't stop with behind that, uh, behind that um, access point, that uh, proxy sitting in, in front of the data center. And uh, you know, Sunburst took advantage of the fact that we've really only focused on the perimeter. Um, and what happens behind that perimeter is really the attacker's open domain. So their entire goal is to get behind that perimeter to get to where the data is in the data center. So visibility to me means looking at what are the normal communication patterns and then stopping that which is abnormal. Um, and once again, that's a mindset problem. So, um, the, uh, so in terms of priorities for this year, for me, it's really, you know, once again, turning back to education, really thinking about restricting lateral movement to only those uh, connections which should be allowed, rather than sort of allowing, you know, that internet mindset of, hey, once you're connected, you can go anywhere you want. Um, you know, we really focused on the end user in. We haven't really talked about how to solve that problem in mass inside the data center. What Ron talked about in terms of like an unpatched system, how to isolate it. Well, what if isolating it, you know, uh, how to isolate it without touching the physical network itself, because that could have a much broader impact. So uh, this is why Zero Trust 207 is incredibly important. And in fact, uh, you know, we're, uh, working uh, with this out of being their zero trust uh, reference architecture, really focusing on the data center and cloud environments, really thinking about how to compartmentalize these networks that were uncompartmentalized in the data center in the unclass region uh, of, of the infrastructure. Really, uh, yeah, and, and sort of putting all these, uh, these uh, uh, correct sort of barriers, if you will, virtual barriers in place to again, pr protect that blast zone, et cetera, one of the tenants certainly of, zero architecture. All right, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. The solar winds hack has greatly impacted federal networks. Breaches are inevitable, but they don't have to be devastating. Alumio is the zero trust leader in end-to-end -end segmentation. Alumio prevents attackers from moving laterally across your network to carry out breaches, providing real-time visibility, reducing the dynamic attack surface, and enabling faster implementation. Visit Illumio.com federal to learn how to help your agency or command get to zero trust quickly and better accomplish your mission. This is Bob Fortna. At Fortinet Federal, we understand government cybersecurity professionals want to reduce operational challenges 
make cybersecurity more manageable, and deliver actionable information. Our integrated and automated solutions reduce complexity and ensure mission success at speed and scale. Fortinet is a leading U.S. cybersecurity company with a 20-year track record of innovation. See why agencies rely on Fortinet Federal. For more information, go to fortinetfederal.com. Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We're committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future, we build it. VerizonEnterprise.com slash federal IT. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about cybersecurity and Department of Defense and Department of Homeland Security. And we're just getting into lessons learned. Haman, I want to throw it over to you at Department of Homeland Security. Uh, give us some lessons learned, maybe pluses and minuses as you're on this journey of trying to make sure that you uh, harden that environment in the ever-changing environment. Uh, what are you learning? Yeah, Luke, thank you for asking. So, you know, we talked about supply chain and, and zero trust already. Uh, so, you know, Luke, as you're familiar with DHS, right? Uh, you know, I, I truly believe that the successes that we've had and, and kind of the path where we are going uh, for your cybersecurity and IT initiatives uh, for the enterprise is, is really, you know, a, a unified effort. It has to be, right? And, and I imagine this is the case for other large organizations as well. You know, one of the things I would say is, you know, you can purchase all sort of tools, right? But but if they're not implemented effectively and if they're not providing you with key information that's needed to make educated risk-based decisions, then, you know, they're just another shiny object that's, you know, it's not serving any purpose. So that, that's one of the lessons that I would say is, you know, communication and collaboration is really key uh, when it comes to that, especially when we're looking at this enterprise-wide initiative with multiple components. And, and, you know, uh, I always say, uh, Luke, that, you know, complexity of the Department of Homeland Security is really the strength of the department. Um, you know, we work closely with components for all major cybersecurity initiatives, which is really important uh, as, as we are uh, uh, trying to, you know, further harden and, and improve our security posture for the department. And through a comprehensive and collaborative approach, we ensure that operators and employees have the necessary cybersecurity tools, resources, uh, and authorities to execute the mission and, and defend against threats. So, you know, we talked about partnership and collaboration and communication as, as really, I believe that's, that's really a good lesson learned. Also, I think key to success when it comes to, uh, you know, these, these large IT initiatives and, and implementing cyber. Uh, you know, we partner with uh, uh, components, like I mentioned, but, you know, we, are, we, you know, I talked a little bit about the partnership with and collaboration with CISA. I think that's really important because I think as, as we look at federal government and, and the role of CISA and, and DHS itself, as we are collaborating with other agencies, and we're sharing information. That's really helping, uh, I think, not just DHS, but also other agencies, I believe, to really build a common understanding of cyber threats that can empower, you know, uh, private sector network defenders, you know, the critical uh, infrastructure owners and operators, and then government partners as well to improve the resilience and integrity of the, of the national critical functions. 100%, and love to see that partnership with CISA and the other agencies and with the DOD community as well. Martin, how about at Verizon? Top lesson learned uh, that you're, uh, you've discovered, plus or minus? One lesson learned that's been really critical. I, I think the tendency when you think about cyber is to think technology and to think process. But in my experience, it's actually most impactful 
to double down on the people side of cyber. Uh, that includes stakeholder management really at all levels of the organization. Uh, cyber should be a part of business governing councils. It should be a part of IT transformation plans. It should be part of the product development life cycle. And every single person in the company or in the agency should know beyond the shadow of a doubt that cyber is their responsibility because it's everyone's responsibility. So when you think about how to accomplish this level of integration and how to get a seat at the right tables, that's through people and that's through stakeholder management. So there's simply no substitute for it. 100%, I always say that every employee needs to be a cyber patriot. Freddie, how about at DIA? Top lesson learned for you guys. For us was the, the value of our vendor partners after acquisition. Um, it's very easy to acquire a solution or capability, deploy it, make it operational, and depend on your own, own personnel to maintain it and, and utilize it the way that's supposed to be met, to be utilized. But our vendor partners we have found have come in and, and willingly volunteer to help us to make sure that those capabilities are tuned correctly, that we're fully utilizing it to the full extent possible, and opening our eyes to areas that we were probably missing. Um, so. This is what we've learned this, this past year, especially with everything that's going on, is the value of our vendor partners. Right, and, uh, and, and, and having that close partnership. You know, nobody has a, a lock on all the, uh, uh, the great ideas and the emerging ideas, right? Uh, Jim, how about over at Fortinet? Uh, uh, lessons learned as you uh, reflect back on, uh, on, on what you all are seeing across the environment. So look, I would actually build on Freddie's comment. And, and I say this is, you know, putting on my former federal executive hat, it's avoiding the temptation to think your problems are unique because I think it's been brought out in this conversation from AI to zero trust, there are viable commercial approaches to this. So my big lesson learned is don't reinvent the wheel. I still talk to federal partners who say, hey, I need to go build an AI algorithm. And I go, wait, have you first looked to see what's out there in the commercial space that you could potentially modify, but avoid this temptation to say, well, my problem is unique and singular, and therefore I need to go build my own solution. That's a last resort, not a first resort. Sure. And that's, uh, you know, when, when your head's down, uh, you know, you sometimes you have a tendency to do that perhaps, but uh, yeah, yeah, obviously, I think everyone recognizes there's a community out there and uh, uh, that, that, that there's no uh, typically unique situations that haven't been solved or are attempting to be solved, et cetera. And I think that's really important. Well, we have about 12 minutes left and we always like to talk about, uh, you know, what's it gonna look like in the future, uh, perhaps over the horizon. Matt, I'm gonna start with you at Illumio and uh, uh, just paint a picture. What's it look like? Uh, what, what, are we, what can we expect to see over the course of the next uh, 18 months, two years? The first thing I think is gonna be a, a transformative mindset um, at, in our partners in the government. You know, very frequently when I see, you know, architectures, it's still based on detection technologies. And I think one of the things that we have learned in the last, you know, year plus is that detection will ultimately failure. Are the offenders, the offense, uh, the other side needs to get it right once where we need to get detection right every single time. So I think there's gonna be a mindset changed about, you know, where the defense needs to reside. That $9 billion in spending that's gonna be unlocked can't be about doing things the exact same way that we've been doing them because clearly the the offense is going to get it right once and then we have our, our have our problems like the one that we had recently with sunburst so i think the biggest challenge is going to be a mindset changed 
Um, and you know, def and if it's not just detection, our defenses need to be modified uh, to basically prevent an assumed breach at, at, at any given point. And you know, there's an emerging technology in the private sector called micro segmentation, which compartmentalizes those assets in the data center. And you know, the whole idea of zero trust is to do it in a way using what you already have. So rather than buying more infrastructure and tapping into that $9 billion, it would never solve the $9 billion is not enough, not enough network infrastructure to be purchased to do it. Why not use what you already have to get to micro segmentation and assume breach? So it's gonna be a lot of proselytizing that happens. And my goal, my sole vision is that every single time a new mission, a new cyber mission is adopted or any new uh, uh, application is adopted by the federal government instead of you know being in an open network that it gets launched with a compartment around it a micro segment around it such that if anything is breached it can't move laterally within the environment and you can't and without having to redo an entire network that's really the focus of what I'm trying to get done in the next year fantastic again uh, trying to protect that blast zone and just for the record that's a proposed nine billion. Uh, at this point. So we'll see uh, where they end up on that. Martin, how about over at Verizon? What's that going to look like? You talked about 5G. Uh, what can we expect over the next 18 months, two years? Yeah, we, we all know what a challenging and complex issue cyber is, but I, I really do believe the future is bright for a number of reasons. I, I think back, it was not that long ago that cyber was considered uh, a technology issue to be addressed by just the IT team, just the security team. It's easy to forget, but, uh, but think about how far we've come. Uh, the vast majority of government leaders and business leaders today are keenly aware that cyber is a business risk that can impact reputation and financial performance, customer relationships, and ultimately the ability to successfully deliver on missions. And more and more that executive support is translating into a resilience approach to managing cyber risk. So I'm encouraged by that executive support coupled with the promise of new strategies and technologies for defense. Um, from new innovative protective solutions to the continued advancement of detection and response capabilities powered by AI and ML, powered by 5G, to new security paradigms like zero trust networking and software defined parameters. I think that's what really will lead the way. But to, to be clear, we have a great deal of work to do to drive to that future. And as I mentioned earlier, cyber is an ecosystem issue. The, the only way that we'll truly get out in front is if we collectively raise the bar across governments and other public sector organizations and companies around the world. So Verizon's obviously committed to that outcome, both in terms of our own internal cyber program, as well as our portfolio of, of security solutions and thought leadership that we offer to protect and defend and enable our customers. And it really is a, a corporate issue. And I'm really pleased to see, and I know others were, that OMB really sort of brought the, uh, the agency heads into the, the forefold of, of uh, being aware of uh, the cyber dynamics and, and making sure that they're, they're directly responsible for that. Jim, how about at uh, Fortinet? Uh, what's it look like over the next 18 months from your crystal ball? Luke, I'm, I'm bullish on the transformative impact of uh, AI ML driven security automation. You know, we talk about cybersecurity is hard because of the growing attack surface. Yes, but, but if you instrument that surface and the instrumentation of sensors that generate data that AI can make sense of, you know what is happening. And as a former attacker, we were not invisible cyber ninjas. We would try and fail before we would succeed. So if you can spotlight even the failures 
figure out what they're doing and block it everywhere, that's a game changer. And that's now where we are headed as an industry in technology. And the second point I, I'm, I'm bullish on is the growing recognition that no one can solve this alone, that public-private partnership is key to doing this. So I think there'll be, we, we've talked about the supply chain issue and it's, you're accepting third-party risks. So I think collectively, we're gonna think through how do we develop these capabilities? How do we deploy these tools across industry and in government and then more information sharing? And I'm heartened thereby. The Solarium Commission talked about securing the IT infrastructure, greater public-private partnership, more information sharing. So I think there's a lot that over the next 18 months will push us in this direction. Fantastic, and we certainly look forward to it. Freddie, uh, you talked about uh, you know a lot of different things. You know. You, uh, what's it look like in 18 months, two years? Uh, does JWIX look the same as it does today? Or is, you know, what changes? Uh, what can we expect to see in a couple of years? Actually, JWIX is going to be changing. It's a, a complete modernization vision that we have. Wow. And strategy to modern, completely modernize JWIX, uh, which includes, as many have mentioned here, going to a zero trust architecture. Um, it's a big endeavor. It's a, it's a big project, um, probably multi-year. Um, but that's basically our CIO strategy going forward. We just, we just have to modernize JWIX because uh, we, if we don't, then it, it won't serve the workforce and those that need it um, down the road into the future. Um, so it's very important um, as we move forward. Uh, ha happy to hear that. It's very key. Um, and uh, I know JWIX has been around a long time and it's uh, always promising to see that it's evolving and uh, and, and making sure that it's it, 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 it's keeping up with the uh, uh, what's required of the mission. Hamant, how about at Department of Homeland Security? Whole lot of stuff going on there. What's the environment look like in two years? You've got a lot of stuff in the uh, in the job jar over there. Uh, what can we expect to see in a couple of years? Sure, Luke. So uh, you know, as we know, and I think uh, other panel member touched on this as well. Right, IT and and it is evolving. Right, it continues to evolve in more, more you know, both predictable way and and in somewhat you know unexpected ways as well. So you know, as much as we would like to say, you know, our goal is always to stay ahead of the bad guys, right, and defend against the threats. But look, you know, the bad guys don't take this you know pandemic break, right? Actually, matter of fact, they take, uh, they look at you know uh, to take advantage of these type of opportunities, right? And I, I'm personally proud of you know the great work that the, you know our teams have done. Uh, to continue keeping us secure. Now, look, as federal government is concerned, you know, we need to continue to ensure that we have hardened infrastructure in place with security baked in. We talked about it already several times, right? It really needs to be baked in into all our processes from, you know, users to, to implementing uh, uh, new solutions, right? And, and it's important to ensure that the right continuous monitoring is being performed of, uh, you know, our cybersecurity posture. Uh, you know, one of the things to, to that effect is, you know, to, to continue implementing cybersecurity in the acquisition lifestyle framework. It's, it's really important to ensure that the cybersecurity threat analysis and the, and the risk management activities are really initiated early on when we, you know, talked about, you know, being baked in. And they're, they're integrated all the way through the lifecycle processes. I often say, you know, early implementation of cybersecurity is really key. Uh, to building cyber resilience and to newly uh, acquired uh, capabilities. You know, lastly, I would say is, you know, we need to continue automating and implementing our cybersecurity detection and protection mechanisms along with the adoption of, you know, zero trust security model we just talked about to, to continue the mission success. 
And Luke, as you know, at DHS, you know, through continuous scanning, intrusion prevention, vulnerability assessments, you know, we are, we are really taking timely and appropriate risk-based actions to defend the network. And, and it's, it's allowing us to move with the speed and agility that's comparable to our adversaries and adversaries and, and increase the time and cost for malicious actors to conduct successful attacks. Uh, you know, we continue to engage component senior leaderships and IT and, and security experts to implement these capabilities effectively uh, to enhance the, you know, uh, the, the cybersecurity posture. So I really feel that, you know, as long as we keep doing this and, and, and keep maturing uh, those, that model, that it, it, it does give us the best opportunity to be successful in, in carrying out our mission and, and staying ahead of the bad guys. Yeah, it seems that uh, you're really doubling down on trying to make sure that, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're, uh, uh, you try to avoid a situation, but then if you're in a situation that you're really in a, in a position to respond quickly uh, to that situation, which quite frankly, is I think something that Ron, you had talked about. Uh, what does it look like over the next couple of years? You've got, uh, you know, 365 completely rolled out. Uh, you know, you, 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 you've got your, your new command up and running over there. Uh, what, do, what do you think uh, that operating environment looks like uh, for you all in the next couple of years? Well, the one, absolutely, as we're moving to uh, embrace on our journey for zero trust and Office 365 and other things. But one thing I want to highlight is it's really about, you know, partnering and leveraging with commercial industry of how we can do the capabilities. And so uh, both the Army and the Air Force are running a series of pilots. It's called Enterprise IT as a Service, uh, where we are really looking at how can industry uh, deliver network as a service, end user services, and compute and storage. And so we are running a series of pilots and uh, our three key vendors, although they have many other industry partners behind that, Verizon, AT&T, and Microsoft. And we are started last year with each having an initial base, uh, uh, an army, army base where they're, they're doing this complete suite of capability. And this is a series of pilots for us to, over the next two years for us to determine how can we leverage the capability capacity of industry? Because I, I think all federal uh, executives know the way we do appropriations and contracting makes it very difficult to stay up with the speed of technology and the ever-changing adversarial threat. And so industry does things very well. How can we leverage that? So I would tell you in 24 months, we would be at a decision point to say, what, what have we learned from those pilots? And how can we use you know, better in the partnership with industry moving forward? That, that, that's fantastic. So you're really talking about acquiring modern technology and acquiring it in a very modern way, if you will. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, being that it'd be uh, more of a sort of a service base, uh, continuing to get the, uh, the, the, the most current technology as you're buying those services. That's fantastic. fantastic and that's a great way to, to wrap up the show. Um, I'd like to thank today's guests for taking the time out of their busy schedules to join us for this program. And I'd like to thank the sponsors uh, for supporting this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.